So Psalm 96 begins with those words, sing to the Lord a new song. And it is a command. We are commanded to sing new songs. We are called to come before God with with new expressions of praise. In fact, six times through the book of Psalms, we have six separate times when God calls us to come to Him with a new song. And then, if we go to the book of Isaiah, we have one occasion there in Isaiah where we are called again to come before the Lord with a new song. And then we go to Revelation. We get to the final book of the Bible, and what do we find in heaven? What do we see the saints who are assembled there before the throne of God doing? It says, then they sang a new song to the Lamb. We're still singing new songs in heaven. Two times in Revelation, we're singing new songs to God. We're called to sing new songs. And we have to admit, that can be difficult for us because we love the old songs. We, we love those old songs. I love the old songs. And, and so many of the new songs, we don't always know how they go. That's why we need you guys here to teach us. You know, we, we don't know how those new songs go. We don't know, understand the words. We don't know when we come in. And, and you know, we, we're not really sure. We're not really comfortable with the new songs always. But we're called repeatedly to sing to the Lord a new song. Why does He ask us to do that? Why does He tell us to do that? Is it because our old songs aren't good anymore? No. Is it because the old songs are boring? Absolutely not. I love those old songs. We're called to sing new songs because God does new things in our lives. New expressions of His grace, new gifts of hope, and new gifts of His, of His love. New reasons to, to rejoice. This past week, in my Tuesday email, I asked you to tell me some of your favorite new songs. Some of the new worship songs. You hear them on the radio. Sometimes we do some of them here. What were some of your favorite new songs? I got great responses. One of them that was, uh, that was shared was My Victory by David Crowder. We're doing a Crowder song a little later, right? Yeah, we, My Victory by, by David Crowder. You're a good, good father. We've sung that here a couple of times. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here again. Another great song. One of the things that I noticed from your responses and one of the things I noticed from the list of all of the top new songs that are, that are being sung in worship is while they are, so many of them are born out of today's believers and today's songwriters, today's experiences, and, and today's tunes, an awful lot of them carry with them the same themes as the old songs. One of the songs that was mentioned, uh, one of the songs that, that you told me was one of your favorites was the song, This Is Amazing Grace. I mean, we, we have a a different song called Amazing Grace, right? And, and another one that's always in the top 10 favorite new worship songs is Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And so that's exactly what we see in the Psalms though. New experiences of God's grace require new songs, but it's the same God, it's the same power, it's the same love. Psalm 96 is a beautiful song. And I think it's all the more beautiful when you understand when it was sang and, and how it was originally sang. To put it in some historic context, if you were to flip over to the left a little bit from your book of Psalms, you would come into you would find First Chronicles chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story of First Chronicles 16. But we're not really familiar with chapter 16 because we we tend to stop before we finish the story. We, we like to talk about First, First Chronicles chapter 14 when David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Israel, into Jerusalem on a cart, and Uzzah reaches up and touches it and gets killed. We, that part excites us. We're interested in that. that. That's a big scary box. And, and he touched it. We 
tend to talk about chapter 14. We tend to talk about chapter 15 when David goes back and finds, oh, there's a right way to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And so they, they put it on poles and they carry it. And what does David do? David dances before the ark wearing a linen ephod, basically wearing his underwear, right? And, and dances in a very undignified way before the ark as they bring the ark in. We tend to, to think about that, but we forget about chapter 16 when the ark finally arrives in Jerusalem. David brings the ark in and he doesn't put it in the tabernacle. He doesn't set it where the temple would be. David builds a tent. He pitches a tent in the backyard of the palace and he sticks the, te- sticks the Ark of the Covenant there in that little shelter. A little shelter. And that's where it stayed until Solomon built his temple many, many years later. The Ark of the Covenant was not kept behind walls, but it was out in the open 24-7, 365 days a year, and people worshipped before the presence of God. God's presence was open to everyone. As they brought the ark into that tent there in 1 Chronicles 16, David and the people sang a version of Psalm 96. They sang those words, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. God was doing a new thing and His people needed a new expression of praise. And you know, there are times in our own lives when we long to see God do something new for us. When we, we long to, to see Him show up in the midst of the mess and the hurt and the pain that we're experiencing. We say, God, we want You to step in right now. And while we wait for God to act, while we look for Him to show up, we praise Him. Because praise draws your focus to God Himself. The psalm begins with those statements. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. And then as it continues on, we're told why. In verses 4-6, through six, we have two statements that tell us why we are to sing to the Lord. We have two statements that begin with the word for. They tell us the reason for our praise. Verse 4 says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Verse 4. 4 tells us about God Himself. He is great. He is greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all the other gods. And then verse 5 tells us about the other gods. They're not real. They are worthless idols. They are powerless. They're not real. They are not worthy of our praise. But you know, those, those worthless idols, they tend to get noisy. They may be worthless, but they tend to make a lot of noise. Hey, Turn on your TV sometime. And there, in between the, the, the show, in, in the commercial breaks, you're going to hear the praise of a lot of worthless idols. That's what commercials are. They're praise to, to worthless idols. And, and I sit there and I, I watch those commercials. And, I, and, and a couple of things strike me as I watch most of the commercials. First of all, they're selling me things I don't want. You know, I, I don't need those things. I don't need this. I don't need that. They're, they're trying to sell them to me. But the other thing that they're selling me and I can't believe that it would just be me. They're selling me things I can't afford. They're telling me I need this thing that I, that I can't afford. I need this car that I can't afford. I mean, these cars, 
they do amazing things. But I can't afford them. I can't have those things. But they're telling me I'm not complete unless I have those cars. And then what really irritates me is I find myself singing their praises. I'm singing the jingles in my head, you know? And I'm singing those songs. And I'm singing about Diet Coke as I'm walking around the house. I don't need a Diet Coke. Maybe I need a Diet Coke. I'm singing about Cadillacs. I I don't need a Cadillac. I'm singing about some medication that I don't even know what it does. And I didn't even know I needed it until they told me I needed it, you know? But what did an idol ever do? The psalm says that they are worthless. And then in contrast, he says of God in verse 5, he says, but the Lord made the heavens. Any claim an idol can make, God's claim is higher. God has made the heavens. When we praise Him, His presence overwhelms us. When we praise Him, He becomes greater to us. He becomes more a part of our lives. He becomes more in focus as we sing His songs. Because praise calls you deeper in your commitment to God. The first two verses of Psalm 96, three times, we're called to sing praises to the Lord. Three times in the first two verses. Then we're told why. For the Lord is great. He is greatly to be praised. And as we move into verses 7-9, through we move from singing to the Lord to ascribing the Lord. What is ascribing? Ascribing is when you declare someone's attributes. When you ascribe someone, you tell what they've done. You tell what they're good at. You place them in high regard. Verses 7-9 through says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of His people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. What do we declare about God? We declare His glory. We declare His strength. We declare His holiness. These are attributes that only He has. If you want to see glory, you've got to look to God. If you want to see holiness, you've got to look to Him. If you want real strength, you can only find it with Him. He is the only true source of those things. But we're also told here that ascribing isn't just about declaring with your mouth. It's about declaring with your devotion. A few weeks ago, we were looking at one of the Psalms and we started talking about the the love of God. And the love of God is presented in the Old Testament. It's a kind of love that we, we really don't have an English word that translates it well. We, we call it steadfast love. It's a word that we just don't have an equivalent for. It's more than love. It is love that never fails. And, and more than that, it's love that does something. It's love that acts on behalf of someone. It's not simply love that has nice warm feelings and fuzzy feelings about people. God's love for us is concrete. We can know what He does for us. And so in return... Ascribing to the Lord is not simply about saying He's holy. He's strong. He is great. It's about committing to Him. It's about how we devote ourselves to Him. Verse 8, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. I'm allowed to talk about offering now because we already took up the offering. Okay, So this is not, this is not me pressuring you for a good offering today. We've already taken up offering, so I can say whatever I want about offering. And and obviously, offering is more than just about finances. It's about the way you offer yourself. It's about the way that you give yourself to God. But, if we were just talking about finances, if we were just talking about expenses, if someone saw your expenses, 
If someone took a look at where your money goes, could they tell who you worship? Could they tell what you worship? Would it show them what God is most important to you by what you spend your money on? Or would it tell them that you're committed to God or that you're committed to something else? Maybe committed to one of those idols that you see on TV or maybe several of those idols. If you go back to 1 Chronicles 16, as David brings the ark into Jerusalem, as they sing this psalm, we're told in verses 2 and 3, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. David's worship blessed other people. David fed a nation out of his devotion to God. And I think that's important for us to catch because if our praise, if our praise of God does not produce tangible blessings in the lives of others, we've not understood praise. We've not understood who we are worshiping or the kind of love that He has for us. The songs, the songs themselves can be pretty. They can have deep meaning. They, they can make us feel good when we sing them. But our praise, to really be praised, our praise needs to overflow into our world. From the time of Moses until the time of David, the ark was kept in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. The ark was approached by one high priest a year, and David changed that. David put the ark in his backyard, put it under a tent so it wouldn't get wet, and people sang and danced and worshiped and praised God before the ark. And you know what? No one had ever done it that way before. And we don't have a single record of anyone saying, no one's ever done it this way before. They, they just did it. In a tent in the palace yard for maybe, for maybe 36 years, that's where the ark sat and people came and worshipped in the presence of God. The psalm begins with those words in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And as the song comes to a close, verse 10 says, Say among the nations. We've gone from sing to the Lord all the earth. Now we're told, sing among, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. This is beyond just singing nice songs about God. Worship is so much more than that. Worship changes our hearts. It draws our focus onto God Himself. It changes our lives. It calls us to deeper commitment. But that commitment overflows into the world around us. And by the end of the psalm, all of creation is, is singing to God, is worshiping God. Verse 11, let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. For He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. It says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. And then by the end, the whole earth is rejoicing. Praise overflows into the world around us and into the lives of the people around us. The way we praise God, the way we lift Him up, the way we glorify Him is an important part of our witness. It tells people who we are and, and what we believe. Do people around you know who you are by what you worship? 
Do they know who you are by what you praise? They will never know that He reigns if we don't declare His reign. That tent of David's, it only lasted a few years. About 36 years. After David died, Solomon began construction on the temple. And when the temple was completed, the Ark of the Covenant was once again put behind block walls in the Holy of Holies. This time, not just a tabernacle wall, a canvas wall, but a block wall. And it was only approached again by a high priest once a year. That place of worship, the presence of God, would be limited to one high priest. Otherwise, there was no access. Jump ahead a few hundred years. We jump ahead a few hundred years and we come to the book of Acts. And we get to the middle of the book of Acts and the church is growing and suddenly there is a problem. The church is experiencing a new problem. And the problem is what had begun as a, as a strictly Jewish sect, Jewish believers who believed that Jesus was the Messiah that, that God had promised, now all of a sudden Gentiles, people like, like you and me, Gentiles were coming into the church. And they didn't know what to do because we've never done it this way before. And they have this big meeting in Jerusalem to talk about this problem. And Paul and Barnabas are there and they say, we saw it in Antioch. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit was poured out on these Gentiles in Antioch and they received the Spirit. What do we do? Peter says, I saw it. I went to Cornelius' house. There were all these Gentiles there. And suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up. What, what do we do? Do we... Do we welcome them? Do we welcome these new people in? Do we, do we let them fellowship with us? Do we make them jump through hoops? Do they have to become Jewish first and then they can become Christians? And James, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, James, by the way, Jesus' little brother, James, the one who wrote the book of James, James spoke up. And as James spoke up, he quoted an obscure old prophecy from Amos. And in Acts chapter 15, verses 15 through 17, James says, Acts 15, he says, and with this, with what's happening with the Gentiles coming into the church, and with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, and he quotes from Amos, just as it is written, after this I will return. And I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it and the remnant of man, that the remnant of mankind, you and me, may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by My name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God's promise was that one day He would rebuild David's fallen tent. Not David's fallen temple, not David's fallen palace, but David's fallen tent. God would rebuild that. God would one day open the way for everyone to come into His presence. For everyone to know that they are welcome to come and worship. To do that, He needed to do new things. He needed to do new things in the lives of people. He needed to do new things in the way that we fellowship. He needed to do new things in the way that we praise Him. When you think about your own life, you think about your own struggles, you look at what you haven't been able to do for yourself. And just ask the question, do I need God to do something new in me? Do I need some new experience? Do I need some new call? Do, 
do I need to do something new because what I'm doing now it isn't working? David brought the ark into a tent in his backyard and God moved in. And suddenly there was praise. Acts chapter 15, Jews and Gentiles are suddenly thrust together in ways that they had never been together before. And then God moved in and there was praise. And we have to come up with a new name for these people. We have to call them Christians now. You think about some of the individuals we see in the Bible. You see an angry Pharisee named Saul who is bent on destroying the church and on his way to Damascus, he meets Jesus and he meets Jesus and he is broken, he is hurting, he is blind, he doesn't know which direction he's going. And God moves in and suddenly we have the Apostle Paul and, and we have this, this Apostle that told us what love is, is really like. And you think about yourself, you think about where you are, the, the hurting that you have, the, the pain that you have, the confusion that you find yourself in, you think about those standards that other people have set for you that you know you're never going to live up to those. You're never going to, to compare with those people. And yet God is ready to move in. God is ready to fill you with a new song. God is ready to give you something to sing about. The band's going to come back. And they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. Because it would be wrong for us not to worship after hearing a song. A psalm that calls us to come and sing to the Lord a new song. They've got a couple of songs to lead us in. Then I'll come back and I'll close this with prayer after a couple of songs. But let's be obedient to what God calls us. Not just what He called us to way back in Psalm 96, but what He calls us to today to sing a new song to Him and to have that expectation that He shows up in new and amazing ways in our lives.